Welcome to another episode on the Unfiltered Real Talk podcast. I'm your host, EJ. In today's episode, my guest, Christina Monfort, and I are discussing parenting black children in the diaspora. We raise critical issues impacting black people, in particular, discrimination and racism. Based upon our personal experience, we outline some strategies to support black parents parenting their children in the diaspora. Chris, you're welcome to today's show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, EJ. Thank you very much. So what I would like to start off to do, Chris, is for you to introduce yourself and tell us mm-hmm. a little bit about why you're passionate about today's topic on parenting mm-hmm. Black kids in the diaspora. Okay. Okay. Well, my name is Christina Monfort, and I am a widower. I am a parent of two kids, Kristen, 27, and Adonis, 24. I was born on the island of St. Lucia, moved to Toronto when when I was eight, and in 89, moved out to Calgary, went to school at SAIT, and then went back to Toronto, met my husband, and moved back out here in 93. So, yes. So I've been here for a while. Absolutely. And, and my daughter was born in Bloomingdale, Ontario, but my son was born at the Rocky View Hospital um, in Calgary, Alberta. And they've both been through the public school system. And, uh, and so I'm passionate about this topic because I am a black Canadian and my kids are black Canadians. And and being able to talk about what that means in terms of our white counterparts or dominant culture counterparts and how that influences and shapes our lives moving forward. Absolutely, that's true. I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm also curious, given that we are in the midst of a pandemic, what mm-hmm. are you doing to stay motivated? What are you doing to stay encouraged in these difficult times? Well. The pandemic, you know, I think at the beginning it was like, oh, this is great. We can just stay home. And, That's right. You know, it, it's like a little holiday. That's right. right? Yeah. And then it was like, oh, this is real. And so I, I, I had a little dip where I was like, I wasn't getting out. I wasn't seeing people. And that was taking its toll on my mental health. And, and I believe strongly in behavioral activation. So getting, um, I live a very structured life because I do work from home. And so um, I wake up at 4.30 in the morning, I exercise, nice. I start work. When I finish work, I go for walks. I, I tend to really make sure I'm hydrated. I connect with friends by phone or, or by video. And now that things have opened up a little bit, I'm back to my routine of my local vendors and chatting and connecting and, and spending some in-person time with friends. So, so that's really good and checking in with the kids and and things like that. So getting out, fresh air, getting good sleep, right? And being mindfully present has helped me through this pandemic. And, this and we're is, still going through it. We don't know how long still, it's going to yes, be. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're still going through it. And these are really, I like to just point out to our listeners how basic and simple these things are. So you're not doing anything extra that will cost a lot of money or cost a lot of time. These are things you can just, like you said, structure your time and your and your priorities and include these self-care routines into your day. So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. I like to talk about how raising two Black children has been for you in Canada. And as you said, you have two black children and you yes. guys immigrated and then you spent some time in Ontario and then you're now in Alberta. So, and I know that you said that your kids were elite, um, elite well, Yeah, they definitely were, were above average athletes, right? Elite is, is a perspective, right? So, um, you know, Adonis, my, my son was able to play represent Alberta on the Alberta basketball team when he was in grade eight and in grade 10. Wow, nice. And, and as well, um, they both have played university basketball. So they've been very fortunate in Absolutely. that. Um, both my late husband and I played basketball in university and college. Wow. And so... Uh, runs in the family, I guess. Yeah, runs <laughs> in the family. The best discussions was always who's the best point guard, right? <laughs> of course. So always the discussion. So, so yes, I think in reflecting and life is so interesting because it's a rear view mirror. When you're going through it, you're going through it, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't have time to kind of really um, think about or ruminate about kind of 
what this means at the moment. You just have time to get your homework done, right? That's right. What do you, do? you know, those sort of things. And so, um, and, and I think my kids, um, I grew up in a household that understand not only overt signs of racism, but they understood systemic racism, racism. and what that meant. Yes. And on from an early age, I, I was thinking about this and preparing um, for our discussion. I think um, from an early age my kids experienced overt racism where wow. you know my my son was spit on my daughter was in Safeway was called the n you know the n-word and and things like that so so there wasn't um you know those signs of racism that they experienced um typically with their parents around um they would get an idea of how to respond and we always talked about it based on your energy your safety you know all those things you get to choose how you respond to overt signs of racism so so i think that that was pretty straightforward for us right and mm -hmm. and being from toronto which has a larger population of black people um it wasn't as prevalent to to see those overt signs of racism Right. I think when I, I know when I came here in 1989, um, that was the first time I was called the N word in on a basketball wow. court. Right. So, and, and you know, I tell my friends back in Toronto, it'd be like, get out of there, girl. What are you doing? Like, you know, mm. so, so we, as black people, we're always prepared and on guard to deal with that. I think where um, it becomes more difficult to identify is that covert racism, that systemic racism, and what does it look like? I was speaking with someone the other day, and I was saying to them that I haven't met a Black family that is from the Caribbean or from Africa or from wherever that does not emphasize education to their kids, that does not emphasize the importance of education in moving forward in this world and to have a successful life. So whatever you do, work hard at it, be, be the best you can be and put your energies into it. And so again, in, when looking back and looking around and seeing how many black kids are not graduating high school, in Ontario, in Alberta, right? How many of them are not moving on to university or to college or to um, a, a trade or those things, right? And so reflecting and saying, what's that about? Because you talk to the parents, right? And mm -hmm. the kids can articulate to you, this is important, right? And so then I started thinking about my children's experience. And I can remember in grade three, Adonis coming home with a test that described Indigenous people as savages. Wow. And as well, and, and that's, when you think about it, that's not too long ago. No, not at all. Right? No, not, not at all. And, and in grade three, at the time, they were studying um, Alberta history. So I asked, I said, so are you studying about John Ware? Are you studying about Athabasca, which was a town that was populated and founded by black people um, from Oklahoma, right? And so, um, and, and he said, no. And at the time we had the good fortune of being friends with Cheryl Fogo, who is a black Canadian and author of Pouring Down the Rain. And he was very lucky to reach out to Cheryl and she went to his school and talked about the contributions of black people, right, in Alberta. And so again, that awareness, but that was that one class. The teacher was open to that. So what about all the other grade three classes in Alberta. That's right. Right. right? That's the so bigger question. Yes. The bigger question. So when you think about English and you think about the novels that kids are, are asked to read, right? How many of them help them? How many of these novels help the kids locate themselves in the curriculum? Right? And and not from the, you know, the stereotypical 
you know, African, you know, the, the shows they used to show, the films they used to show when I was going to school and or, you know, the components of slavery that may have been taught about the United States, right? Um, but around Canadian um, contributions about um, Africaville in Nova Scotia, about um, the first lifeguard in in Victoria, you know, about the first police chief, you know, and and, and that other part of, of history that we tend to want to not talk about, right? And and so about, you know, the last segregated school in Canada was desegregated in 1973, you know, um, though in Windsor, Ontario. So so those things weren't taught, right? And then and then a fuller scope of math and you know, we know that mathematics was primarily invented by Africans. That's right. And, right? and so, <laughs> Thank you for schooling us on this. This is yeah, so key and so important. Yeah. So, so why is it that our kids don't think we're good at math? That's right. Right? And why is it when my daughter was in grade two, a teacher told me that she was a great athlete, but we were in there talking to her about her ability to do math minutes right? And how the teacher was concerned about her speed. And my husband said, well, this is pretty simple. She has nothing wrong. So she's concerned about accuracy, mm -hmm. right? And so which comes first, it doesn't matter, right? She wants accuracy. Mm -hmm. And if you know Kristen now, she's a bit of a perfectionist, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And so that's kind of her innate personality, right? But the teacher was quick to judge her, right? that she wasn't doing this well, right? And so by the time kids leave grade six, how do they see themselves as learners? It doesn't matter what we say at home. Like, cause, cause let's face it, like we see them off in the morning, we may volunteer in the school a couple of times a month, and then we see them in the evenings and we're running them to activities, we're doing our, you know, Absolutely. and it's so- really busy life busy life and it's like I know when I came to school in Canada um, my skills were ahead of where they rated me and because I was I was educated in the British system I started school at, in, at three years old yes we right? start early yes we, we start, start early, early. Yeah. I knew you know I was put I was supposed to be in grade three they put me back in grade two I knew all my times table I was writing cursively Right. But the fact of the matter is we were seen as a third world country mm -hmm. and therefore we must be behind. Absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. And so how has that then passed on to our children? What's the what's how do teachers reflect these kids and encourage them as learners? Right. And, and to be honest with you in life, as you said, we're very busy. Right. It's rare that we have. Um, households where one parent can stay home and, and do that, right, from an economic standpoint. And as well, it's rare to have life, like, it's long gone where you, you know, you graduate, post-secondary, you get married, you have kids, the picket fence and all of that. Life quakes, I call them, happen, right? And so someone may die and someone, you know, there might be mental health issues and, and the family's role, family's distracted. Right. Yes. And so we trust the school system to educate the kids and to communicate with us. But if the expectation is you be that athlete or you be that musician, mm -hmm. right? And we're not educating them and not demanding that they perform at their best, that becomes a challenge because we know when kids hit high school, right? And and the you know, we don't become their primary uh, socialization, right? Absolutely. That's and it's the true. schools, right? And so if we're sending our, school, our children to schools where they can't reflect themselves in the curriculum, um, visible teachers are few and far between, visible administrators are few and far between, right? And so what happens then? And, and so I, I know, I, and I'm quite passionate about it because athletics, I've said from the very beginning, and, and, and my husband, who was a CMA, 
said it, we can do athletics. Whatever interest our kids have outside of school, we can do, but what they do in school is important, right? And so the, ex the, the covert signs of racism and people talk about, well, what does systemic racism look like? Well, it looks like my kids were in French immersion. Ad Adonis was until grade seven, Kristen until grade 10, going to school and being the only black person in their class right? Um, yes. Making an assumption that um, they eat something different than everybody else. <laughs> the, the continual questioning of where are you from? Yes. And when you say, well, I was born in Calgary. Well, where are your parents from? Yes, well, my dad was born question. in my 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 dad was born in Toronto. Where are his parents from? Oh boy, yeah. Until it just keeps they going, get yeah. that, it keeps going. And so, yeah. what my kids learned at a very young age was to to be able to say, well, where are your parents from? Oh, and, and where are your grandparents from? And where are your right? Until <laughs> you got to the answer that Indigenous people are the only people that can say. Right. And in fact, the first African was was here in 1610. Right. And so um, the, the assumption that we're from somewhere and we're not Canadians is, is a piece that's systemic. Right. And then there's that piece when they become 13, 14 and not so much for girls, but that piece of, oh, now you have your learners. Oh, at 16, you're driving. So let me help you figure out how you're going to deal with the police. Yes. And we're going to get into that conversation, yeah. Chris. Thank you so much. Yeah. We're going to get more into that because it's really important to understand how boys and girls, black boys and girls are raised differently and why the reasons why they need to be prepared. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's really key. So you started getting into my next question, which was going yeah. to be, how, do you feel that racism or discrimination or both or experienced differently by you and your kids. So the way you experienced racism and discrimination when you first came to Canada, do you feel that experience was different from yourself, or, uh, the way you experienced it, versus the way your kids experienced racism and discrimination? Well, absolutely. Absolutely. So one, I believe that, you know, Toronto was m more diverse, right? Okay. So, and and, and I grew up, like, I think my high school was not very black populated. So I, I, I grew up in all white neighborhoods and sometimes experienced, um, you know, discrimination from people that looked like me because I didn't talk a certain way and act a certain way and those things. And so I, I used to go through a real conflict. I know I'm not white, but black people don't like me either. Right. Mm. So, but that was that experience. And so in, in Calgary, I, th um, I think, and I, w I really do wish my late husband was here to join us in this conversation because he would have a very different perspective. Mm, but, but, but I believe I had um, very rose-colored glasses and I'd hoped in the span of what, in, in my growth, that my kids would have a different experience. And, and not have experiences now that they have articulated an experience. So absolutely, um, it, it hasn't always been the same kind of racism, right? But, but they have experienced racism. And what parents, when they have a child, want them to experience, first of all, any kind of adversity, but ad um, any kind of discrimination and adversity based on the the color of the skin, which they cannot control, mm -hmm. right? And yes. so, and very, and again, very young. And in sports, when you know, again, like uh, you know, I want to say this, and let me preface this: my friends are all wonderful, and they love us to bits, and they've been with us through good and bad, and they and they would do anything for my kids. And my friends, uh, the majority of my friends are white. Okay, um, so I, I want to say that, and, and they are good people and they're loving. We have had experiences where, you know, when you can't put your finger on it, why you're so angry? Right? Mm -hmm. Mel, you're Mel, angry, but you just don't know why. You don't, you, just... you don't know, and it comes yes. out, and then and then you're the raging black woman or the raging black family. Black and, woman, yeah. Yes, right. And and so, and, and and you really start internalizing it like it's you. 
Absolutely. Right. And so my kids talk about experiences where they really had like, is it me? Right. Am I doing something? And we would, of course, you know, you tell your kids speak properly, sound intelligence, right? right. Go to right. school. Dress properly. The highest education dress, possible. Right. Yes. All of that All stuff. Of that stuff. Yes. However, although we talk to them about systemic racism, I don't think we really debriefed their daily experiences with them. Right. And, and, and so it would always be surrounded by one overt thing where mom and dad would go stomping into the school or, you know, losing it at a basketball game. Right. And, and really um, not really talking to them about, you know, what happened at school today when, you know, when my son was in grade five and he was asked by his classmates or older kids if he could get them drugs, right? Wow. Or, or you know, being called an N-word on the basketball court. That happened to me in 89. Why is it happening to my kids in 2000? And that's why I'm asking that question. So the reason I'm asking that question, thank you so much, Chris, yes. for doing that preface, is because there's still a lot of people out there who believe that there's no racism in Canada, there's no discrimination to Black people or people of color in Canada because it's a multicultural country, blah, blah, blah. We all live peacefully and, you know, hoo ha ha, great. That's obviously not true based on your experience. And we can see very clearly from what you've just explained that way back in 1989 until today's date when your kids are older, it's almost nearly the same experience. So we've come some ways towards addressing racism, discrimination and all of that, but we've not come far enough as people would like to think. There's so much work to be done with covert racism, subtle racism and systemic racism. And this is really important that we have that debrief with our young ones because nobody else may be having that debrief for them. Nobody else may well, be doing that. Absolutely. And I think it's important. So if, if I could talk to my younger self in the process of my kids being in school and growing up, I would, I would say to the parents, it's important to have a weekly debrief right, and ask some questions and, and build a script. So what, you know, and, and not make excuses because this is not what I'm talking about or pointing blame. I think it's, in, in, it's important to be reflective and insightful and help your kids develop tools, right? In terms of, so, if, if the teacher's talking to you about basketball or soccer or hockey, and they're not talking to you about math or science, what are you in school for? And how do you now facilitate that this is important for you? That's right. How because do you have let's, that conversation? Yeah. And because for young people, let's face it, especially young Black males, their self-esteem comes from what others tell them and athletics is a big part of what others identify them with. That's, right. That's what we see on, on NBA, right? That's what we see on television, right? Tiger Woods and, you know, Michael Jordan and LeBron mm -hmm. James and yes. those, that's what we see. And, you know, and having lots of conversations with friends, I say to them, if bell hook says, if you put, cause I don't know if you know this, but the first surgeon to, to perform brain surgery was a black man. I did not and know so, that. Yeah, and so if you put him on TV and you put every black surgeon on TV, every black kid will want to wear the same shoes. Every black kid would want to be a surgeon, right? And so then now looking at what the media, what is, what is perpetuated, what are the images of black people? right? In media, in, you know, when do we see them doing well? When do we see them balling? Right? Right. Are, balling. Are, are, are they, they balling from, you know, being Jay-Z? And, and I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, right? Mm -hmm. what, we miss, what we miss about Jay-Z is he's an incredible businessman. Yes, we don't talk about his business side. We don't talk A about A lot of them are very incredible and quite successful businessmen and women. Exactly. But we don't talk about that. We don't want to share how that happens. 
but we want you know we identify with the athletes as long as you run fast as long as well you have and my kids call me the dream crusher because people used to say to my son you're going to make it to the nba and early on we said to him you're not going to make it to the nba you're 510 on a good day right and you you know and 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 so um the fact that it, it wasn't a matter we said take it as far as you can get it go as far as you can with it work as hard as you can of course absolutely those are the tangibles we need to focus on but when we identify with if black kids identify with those images on tv white kids identify with those images on tv the curriculum doesn't give us a scope of other people other images of black people what's going to be the expectation right and how do you as a parent and, and we're bringing it back to parenting because yes. I, I don't because it's how do you as a parent then deconstruct that so let's start to right? talk about that let's start to talk about tools and strategies for preparing um black parents and i think that's a really good segue into that so for black parents such as myself and i'm sure many others who will get a hold of this podcast how what should these parents do what should they know before they immigrate to canada or the united states or wherever else that they want to immigrate how can these conversations even start before you even immigrate and then when you immigrate to sustain that, those conversations to sustain those tools in your toolbox well i i think and it's not only about immigration right it's not only about when Absolutely. you immigrate but i but i think it's about just when when people see black they see black they don't know if you're you've immigrated oh, yes, absolutely. they assume think the key is educate yourself yes start with learning and getting an understanding build relationships right and so i know my mother said when she when she brought us to canada what she wanted was the best education and opportunities for her children right and so she just trusts that being in canada that's what was going to happen right but we know we have a very good education system but we know there's some some barriers for people that look like us in school systems mm -hmm. so be aware of of you know educate yourself understand the systems because we're talking about school we're not even touching on healthcare oh yeah right? right we're not talking yeah. about the that. justice system like this well like, we're not even right like we're not even going there so no, so but but educate yourself and then have open conversations and with your children with with your partners with your sister circle with your brother circle with yes. you know and create a circle when you've immigrated if you're first generation create a circle create a circle create a circle get an understanding and have variance in that circle have old people like me <laughs> who have older children and 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 have younger people right and listen because your experience and my experience may completely be different it doesn't mean either is wrong or right it just means we need to talk to each other that's right right and mm -hmm. learn from each other and share with each other and somebody was telling me their brother-in-law is black and he said there's no racism he's not experienced racism and they asked me how i felt about that and i said you know i'm really happy for him that he's not experienced racism it doesn't discount that others have and so when you're taking one voice as the person who's saying they haven't right you have to then like i'm speaking for me as a black parent you may interview and talk with 10 other black parents who've mm -hmm. had different experiences and and let's not judge those let's not minimize them let's celebrate them as a way of learning absolutely what can we learn from those absolutely and connect and ask questions ask questions of the teachers ask questions of the school you know be proactive in that way and i know we're tired i know we're exhausted um but trust just trusting your kids to the school system um and i think every parent is like this right you need to be informed about what's happening what's being taught how it's being taught how your children are responding to what's being taught 
and you need to advocate. So sit on committees, right? Talk about things and talk about things from your perspective and feel, take the risk because it's a risk when you start talking about your, when I'm right now, this is a risk for me talking about what my experience was, right? And so, so take that risk and be okay with taking that risk. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's, that's really key. And you've actually dive right into the next few things that I had on here for you, which is just fantastic, is how parents can better support their young kids balance your Afro-cultural heritage. Mm -hmm. So if you are trying to preserve your cultural background, wherever culture you're from, and this may go for also non-Black people, right? So other immigrants or other persons who are not Caucasian, how do you want to help your child build and form that identity? How can you do that? How can you support your young one who may be even struggling with identity connection or Absolutely. formation just because they're now in diaspora, they're somewhere else that they didn't necessarily grow up to? Absolutely. And a um, friend of mine, Raymond Famalusi, wrote a, a, his, uh, his PhD was on creating Black identity in Canada and how it was formed. And he actually moved from Alberta to go to Nova Scotia to do some research, right? Because that probably has the richest um, Black heritage generationally, right? And so, again, I would say is figure out what your identity is first. Figure out what you want to pass on, right? Um, Culturally, Black people are great storytellers. Remember the stories that you were told. Share those stories, right? Celebrate celebrate your culture, right? Whatever that may be. I know for us in Toronto, uh, Carabana is one of the largest Caribbean festivals in yes. the world. Yes, right? it is. It brings millions of dollars to that area. And it is quite a party. And anybody who hasn't been, you need to go. So it was really important for us to take our kids, for them to experience that, for them, and take them in different stages. So they could go out and do the teenage thing and, and do that and, you know, and food and all of that. So for us, we're, we were the only four here. And basketball was our culture. It was part of a big part of our, our identity. So our kids were socialized a lot on that, right? But we did work hard at watching and exposing them to Black movies, talking about topics around um, race identity, what does that mean? Um, I even, I, you know, when my, when my son was starting, I wrote, because they were in French immersion, I wrote to um, Nova Scotia because they had French immersion and, and it was inclusive. I wrote to them for their curriculum. I think it's still in my basement somewhere, right? So, so find out, and, and when, when kids are learning, and, and when I say it's important for our kids, but it's important for all kids. Absolutely. All kids, all kids need to know that black people are not just criminals mm-hmm. and athletes and rappers. drug dealers and musicians. Right. That's right. That's right. right. They, they need to know, you know, that, you know, I forget his first name, but Walcott won a Nobel Peace Prize for poetry. Like they need to know about Toni Morrison and they need to know about Jamaica Kincaid and, and, and those books are all fantastic. And so share them in the schools. All right. Yeah. Right. Share them in the school. And this, this one is on the educational system or, or the system as large, which is the government, really the largest system yeah. to introduce this into curriculum. You know, so it's this is falls on the system. This falls on governments. This falls on our leaders, educational system, healthcare system, judicial system and all of those large systems that form society, shape society to take this on. Yes, and we're not talking about affirmative action. Let's be really clear. We're not, I'm, I'm not talking about asking you to, um, to just you know, hire people because mm-hmm. based on race. What I'm asking is that my, my tax dollars represent me, right? I, I pay taxes for the school system. I pay for health care. I pay for that. And it needs to be more representative. Absolutely. Right. And and we're not talking about underqualified people. We're not talking about dismantling what you've taught so far, but we need to recognize what you've taught so far has perpetuated 
has perpetuated racism. Mm -hmm. Like racism, when people talk about the roots, I love trees because trees, the roots are there, right? Keep you grounded. It keeps you. And so the roots globally are racist by nature. And people can agree or disagree with me, but anything that comes out of those roots, it's inherently racist. And it's not about having a black kid in your class or, you know, but it's, it's about what's your understanding right mm-hmm. and and why do you assume i call it it's about not people talk about privilege i talk about value in this society we know who's valued and who's not absolutely right we know who's valued and who's not so the value you know of that devaluing of having you know being able to physically assault a man to the point of his death, right? Is based on you not valuing that person's life, right? Absolutely. And to do it so casually with your hands in your back pocket. But but people people do that stuff casually anyways. In a classroom, a teacher casually assumes because this person has an accent and is from somewhere right that they're not as smart or their education system is not as strong right and so how do we and i'm not downing on teachers i'm talking about systems the roots of education that's completely different i'm not talking about individuals i am talking about systemic systems that are rooted in this Absolutely. Thank you. Does that help? Sorry. Do I I sound passionate? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Do you? (laughs) Thank you so much. You are on fire. That's what I'm going to say. What I would also like to do is I know you started to do this and I want to come back to it. You started to talk about how to prepare kids living in the diaspora. You said you talked to your kids, you started talking to them really early and how to behave when they are faced with overt racism, right? And we are well, we do prepare our kids for that. And what I'm not sure we do so much is how to prepare them for the covert or subtle racism, because sometimes you're difficult to detect. When you speak, saying it in a different way and saying, I think what Chris needs means to say it. There you go. Right? And And because... And then, you, and then you start thinking going, oh, did I not say that? Am I not articulate? And you start questioning yourself. But one of the things that's really important, I, and this happened in daycare when my daughter was about three. And a, 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 another student, a white male said to, to her white boy said, you're black, right? And she looked at him and she's looking at me and I'm sitting back waiting, right? And for her to say, and she's looking and and so we get in the car and I say, so Kristen, um, what was confusing to you? Like, how, would, how did you want to answer that, right? Mm-hmm. And really, she was three. We're having this conversation oh at my three goodness. people. At three years right? old? At three. And, and, and at three years old. And what I'm trying to do is not have her def- let somebody else identify and define her. Right? So... So we talked about black being a social identity and you getting to define yourself on who you are and you get, nobody else gets to define you, right? And so when, um, you know, she figured out and she told me, she, she picked up a crayon, a brown crayon, and she said to him, so she must've been about three and a half, right? She was, she had quite the language skills, okay? She picked up the crayon and said, I'm brown. Black is my social identity. Wow. Right? And, and to me, that's powerful, right? Very powerful. That because as soon as we start having people define our children for them, start telling them who they are, right? Mm-hmm. We, right? We've lost them. Do you know what I mean? We have to catch that. Absolutely. We have to be able to say them, who are you? My son laughs and he says, every day you drop, you drop us off and go, are you a leader or follower? Right? I ask the question, how are you going to lead today? Right? And so those skills, like it's important because 
God, I am on a journey of defining myself for myself. Okay. And not letting society define me. And so um, I think as parents, any parent, that's the gift you want to give your child. I think that I think as for black parents, that's the bigger gift and more important because at five and six, they're really cute. My husband used to say, oh yeah, of course our kids are really cute. They're adorable. What happens when he turns 13? Then he becomes a threat, right? Yes. Right? Then he, and, then, then, and let's talk about that. So when should we start having these conversations with boys and girls about racism, xenophobia, police brutality? Because yes, when you're young, they're all cute and all of that. But when do we need to start instilling with, into them that confidence that is lacking, that is also not reflective in systems? When is the right time to start having these conversations with our young ones? And also as they get older, and we know police brutality is real, when do we start to prepare them? And how do we do that? How do we tell them, you know, if a police officer stops you, you do this, you don't do that? Like, when do we start to get them ready for all of this? So, so one of the things I we did as a family is we would take our kids to the local police station and whenever there was a police officer around right we would make sure they connected with that police officer and we started that at a very young age right again my tax dollars goes to policing and my kids need to know that the police service is there to protect and take care of all citizens, right? One of my friends is the deputy chief of police in Calgary. I, lo- he's, I love him and he's a great man and he loves my family and my family loves him, right? We understand that policing, um, there are individual situations that occur, right? We understand about the images of especially men, black men. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, and so the conversation I, with Adonis, I think, started at 12 years old. Okay. And it, and it was, here's what you do if you have done something wrong or if you're accused of doing something wrong. Right? So the, the, it, it wasn't a matter of we don't care what you've done because we'll deal with that as a family later. We have the resources to deal with that later. Right. But what we need you to do is to stay safe. So you're respectful. You do, you comply and ask for what you need. Right. And you, you, you comply and do what they say. And then you ask for them to call your parents. I'd like you to call my parents right away, please. Right. And then when we come, we will be calm. We will deal with it. We'll deal with you at home. Right? That's but right. we will we will we will we'll deal, deal with, with it first right? the situation and, first. And then when especially Adonis started driving, because let's face it, black women are not seen as threatening, as threatening as black men. Right? And so um, when Adonis started driving, we restricted him from driving in certain areas at night. Because we knew there was a higher rate of him being pulled over by the police. Right. What I didn't think about and, and something that I experienced when I came to Calgary um, was the racism in the clubs and bars by the bouncers. Yes. Right. And then CBC probably 15 years ago uh, did an expose on it where they actually brought people from Vancouver and Toronto that were of color and, and followed them around having them try to access bars. Right. And um, with my kids going to bars now, um, well, my son just doesn't go anymore because um, they were at a bar. My, uh, my daughter was inside. It was a birthday party. And the bouncer told my son he couldn't come in because he looked like a gangster. Oh, my goodness. Right? And, and, and that happened on a regular basis. And, of course, they come home, they tell me, and I'm like, let's phone the news. Let's do this. And they're like, Mom, like, this happens all the time. They can deny. And they'll say, not today, boy. Not man, not today boy, right? Wow. And so it's, it's a way of demeaning. And so when kids, and I know when I was 18, 19, whatever, 
when you're going to the bar, you've had a couple of drinks, you're doing whatever, right? Somebody calls you a boy and you know you've been raised that that's an insult. That's what they used to call when they freed the slaves. That's how that's they right. used to that's, address them, right? Yes, that's As how they boys, were dressed. Right? And so when, so if that alcohol has diminished your capacity to regulate your response, you could be in some real trouble. Right? Yes. But time. what started it was that overt racism, that idea that if you're wearing a certain thing and if you are a certain color, you are a gangster and we can deny you entry whenever we want. Right? And so my son said, I don't need to go to the bar. I don't, I don't need to, because I don't need to be made felt like. And what do we say to people who insist that they need to go to the bar or to whatever place to mm-hmm. prove a point? Because they feel, and, and rightfully so, it's everyone's right to feel any way they want to feel. But I want to just explore what we can say to those kinds of parents or to those young adults who feel like, you know what, if they are going to perpetuate these kinds of behavior, I have to stand up. Am I standing up this way? Whatever approach they choose to stand up is the way to teach a lesson. Is the way to communicate a point. Is a way to show that it is not right. And taking a different approach says the opposite. Find your voice. In anything you're passionate about, find your voice. And your voice may be, you know, and now I'm not a big social media person, okay? So, but you know, young kids now, they have those phones with them, find your voice, right? Join committees, right? Let's face it, the business case of being inclusive is a big one. Hit it, hit them on a monetary sense. Let it be known, right? Question it, write about it, talk about it. Right. Because when you're silent, like, and I'm not saying Adonis just chose to be silent and not do that. Right. But when you're silent, it, it, for them, it just allows them to continue for you. Right. It has cut off something that you may have enjoyed. Right. And so, you know, find your voice in what in school systems, in healthcare, and your voice may not be right in that moment. Your your voice That's may right. be joining the school board, right? So your voice may be, you know, being an active part of your your business, your community business association. Find your voice. Thank you. And I think that's the most important thing for people to understand. Any final words, closing advice to parents, young adults experiencing discrimination right now or racism or difficult times period living in Canada or elsewhere in the world because they are black or because they're a person of color? Any final words to parents or to the young person? Yeah. So I'm just going to say, and this is my political view, not yours, okay? I'm a black person. I don't want to be called a woman of color. I want to talk about black people. Mm. Okay. That's, that's what I want to talk about because we know there's a hierarchy of racism and I challenge people and I say to people, would you want to have a black child? Would you want to be black right now? And I, unless it's somebody that's athletic, that's, that has the, the image of black people being faster and stronger and all of that kind of stuff, people don't want to have black children. We have urbanized the black culture to be cool. Black people aren't cool. That's the difference, right? Because, because black people, right, are different than black culture, right? And so we can wear our jeans, dance a certain way, listen to certain music, wear our braids. Right? Right, but we could do all of that stuff, right? We can say how cute little black babies are, right? But Right, raising a black child in a dominantly white society is a challenge that you have to be prepared for Absolutely. and aware from, right? And whether you're economically rich or economically poor, right? When your child is driving that car, right? 
You yes. don't know when your child is being followed in the store, Absolutely. when, when the child, like all those things, when your child is being spit on, I'll call the nigger, you know, call the N word and stuff like that. Um, people, people want to say, I don't see color. And I've people said it all that. along. Yes. I've said it all along. If you don't see color, you don't see me. You think about, I was thinking about my basketball experience and we had our own club and all of that. And trust me, there are some behaviors that I had that I was not proud of. And I perpetuated the image. And I was very angry. I went through a very angry period. Uh, or, and I went through a period of anxiousness where I used to throw up before I went into coach. And you look at who's in the room and who's making those decisions about that athlete. You look at who's in the room, in the classroom, in the school, who's making the comments about those kids, right? And until the people in those rooms are like, until we get in those rooms, we're not going to be, we're not going to get what we need. Right. So we, we need to get into governments. We need to get into the education system. We need to get into leadership position in the healthcare system, justice, legal, and all of that. And when I say we need to get into it, we're talking about the people who make those policy decisions, the people who make the ultimate decisions that society begins to follow or shape society and society becomes. So that's what we mean when we say we need, we we need, need to, to vote. Get, we need to vote. We need to vote informatively and intelligently, right? We need to ask questions of who we're voting for. And, and we also need to really stop talking about the United States because mm. any situation that it, it happens in Canada, we can always say, well, we're not as bad as the United States. Yeah, well, quick to do that. We are, and, and, and I've said to people through this, through this whole experience, I've said to people, I don't want to talk about them. I'm well, quick to do that. When, we, when I started out talking about a lot of people don't believe that there's racism in Canada, that is where that comes from because they do a quick comparison to the United States and they'll say, oh, this doesn't happen over here and that doesn't happen over here. But that's not what we're talking about. And that's not the real problem. We need to face the real problem. Well, Keep it local. You. Keep, Keep it, it local. local. That's Keep right. Keep it Be active in your community. Mm -hmm. Have voice and and take risk and 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 be fearless. Because you know what, Mama Bears in all in all colors and creeds. Let me tell you, we are fearless for our ba our baby bears. That's right. Right. So so do it and and build your support system. Thank you so much, Chris. This is the end of our recording today on parenting Black children in the diaspora. We hope that we have equipped you with critical tools, strategies that you can use to support yourself as a Black woman or support your family, your support system, and your life as a whole. So thank you so much, Chris, for being here today. And thank you for doing this podcast. I'm thoroughly enjoying listening to it. So thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the episode and learned something new, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen so you never miss an episode. We would love to hear from you. So leave a rating on the podcast and reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram at Unfiltered Real Talk Podcast. And don't forget to share the podcast with your friends and family. Spreading the word allows us to continue to do the important work of raising awareness on various issues. Thank you and see you in the next episode.